Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Benjamin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Benjamin Clark, the curator for the Charles Schultz Museum. Benjamin, how are you, sir? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. And no problem, man. Thank you for doing this, man. I've been a huge fan of the Peanuts. It was probably the first comic strip I ever really remember going back and really seeking out when I was a younger kid. I mean, I loved Garfield. Calvin and Hobbes was okay, man. But the Peanuts gang and Snoopy specifically, uh, phenomenal comic strip. So I want to know, first off, how old are you? Because you look young. <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 41. 41, man. How long have you been working over at the, the Charles Schultz Museum? I've been here about Four years-ish coming up, I think. Yeah. Even at 37, that seems really young to be a curator. When I think of curator, I'm thinking of like this this guy or this gal that might be in their 70s or 80s that have just <laughs> spent their entire life dedicated to this, whatever topic they're on, man. So before we even get to the Charles Schultz Museum, man, I want to know when was the first time you might have seen a Peanuts comic stripper? Do you remember that time? Oh, it's before memory, you know, like... Yeah. Uh, I remember the strip. I remember having, um, you know, Snoopy toys, you know, and things, um, you know, the, the snow cone maker, you know, the, uh, I had, I remember specifically a Snoopy, um, either bubble bath or shampoo or something and like playing with it in the tub, you know, it's like this orange plastic bottle that had Snoopy on it and stuff. And so, um, no, they were, they were there from day one. (laughs) That's fantastic, man. It, it's always it's always crazy to see how somebody gets onto something. Um, were your were your parents avid, you know, newspaper readers or, or comics readers, and they just gave them to you, or how'd that work out? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we would we would subscribe to the Sunday paper at the house, mm-hmm. usually not all the time, but usually. And so we'd have those, and then my dad would bring um, daily papers home from his office often. You know, not yeah. every day. And, um, but they were both, you know, newspaper readers just generally, and then comics too. Um, you know, so in early eighties, you know, when I'm growing up, uh, you know, that's peak, you know, Calvin and Hobbes time, um, and the far side too. My mom loved, she was a devoted far side reader. So, um, that was, you know, that was kind of part of our, you know, everyday conversations and uh and peanuts too you know was in there uh garfield i love too and uh as a youngster so it's um and i remember peanuts specifically because so often it'd be like i don't i don't get it <laughs> is this is this funny to you guys you know it's my parents are laughing stuff. yeah yeah and they're like oh you'll you'll get it later <laughs> and they were right <laughs> so yeah it's wild to sit there and see like when you think, I don't know how well-versed you are, and I'm not an expert, 
you know, off the bat, just with cartoons, anybody I have on here, I've got a general interest in a lot of different things. So like we talked about just a minute ago, it's very hard to download and keep everything up in your hard drive because you've only got so much space. Plus you got to remember your kids' names, right? Birthdays, your wife's anniversary, that type of shit. Cause you don't want to get in trouble. Right. Right. So with, with, with this type of stuff, man, I, I remember at a young age, just getting them. And then my mom wouldn't read the comics. So she would hand them to us kids. And that's kind of how I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Christmas special. My favorite was always the uh, the the Halloween special. Uh, Mine that too. was always yeah. Or was it? Yep. Um, when you start, go- how do you even become a curator? I guess is start <laughs> at that point. That's what I want to know. How do you become a curator for you specifically? Yeah. Well, um, a lot of people. There's a lot of ways to do it. Mm-hmm. For me, um, I fell in love with history you know, as a, you know, like in junior high, like in, I think seventh grade. And um, so from that point on, I kind of had an inkling like, okay, I like this and I kind of get it, you know, and I didn't get much else in school. (laughs) So like, okay, maybe I should kind of focus on this area. And uh, cause I have to figure this stuff out. (laughs) And um, at some point in time and, um, and I kind of realized I wanted to do, history but I didn't really understand like I didn't I didn't really want to be a teacher because by then I was already like a summer camp counselor and stuff I was like yeah I don't this is for the birds so um it's like I, I need to figure out how you do history and then the light bulb came on it's like oh museums exist you know you don't really go to museums and, and see the people who work there you know they're they're largely unseen behind the scenes or you know whatever it's like there's but there's people that have to do that somehow and um so eventually I got into into that and um so I've been I've actually been working in museums from you know the time I was old enough to do that so I've been working museums now almost 20 years so yeah um yeah so that's how I that's how I got into it so um you know degrees in history and uh museum studies and stuff like that so if you could go back and you you go back in time if you had a time Mm -hmm. machine and you could tell a young Benjamin Hey, watch out for this type of thing while you're, you know, while you're trying to grow as a curator and while you're trying to really master mm. the craft that you've chosen, what would you tell yourself? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one thing I, I did figure out um, is that um writing has to become kind of almost like you know some people treat it like a almost like a martial arts practice you know it's like something I need to be focused on and doing every single day and improving in every single direction because the amount of writing I do is enormous and it it also can take a lot of form so it's not just like I'm writing exhibition text and the labels that you everybody reads like oh I'm also having to write you know like um a serious scholarly article but also like a fun silly magazine thing you know like so um so tuning tuning up those writing skills was something that I kind of wish I'd been paying a little more attention to (laughs) earlier but I did kind of figure that out you know fairly early on so um yeah yeah. that's good to really look at man because there there is a lot of uh a lot of guests not a lot of guests excuse me a lot of fans that'll write in questions or listeners if you will mm-hmm. um or watchers at this point because this one will go <clears throat> excuse me this one will go up on youtube as well 
but uh there's a lot of people that, that that'll call in or they'll, they'll they'll write in and they're like hey how do i become x y and z and i'm like mm. man i don't know but i'll ask these type of questions and you can kind of get some kind of gold out of what these people are talking about when they're on here yeah so it's always fun to really ask those type of questions yeah well i, I tell people who who are interested in you know how do i become a a museum curator you know is is find find something you love that you're passionate about that you're fascinated by and start writing about it and um go visit your local museum and whatever it, it is art history whatever you're into uh natural history and i guarantee you like somebody somewhere is looking for content you know <laughs> some interesting and and engaged content on on that subject mm-hmm. so if you're into like um, architecture, you know, go write about some of the historic homes in your town. And there's an outlet for that somewhere. You're gonna have to dig around and find it. Those people will help you. They'll give you the feedback you need and you can start building your, your expertise. And, um, so that's, that's kind of ground level stuff. I think that a lot of people who are interested in it, even as a, like a hobby, you know, um, there, there are volunteer curators in the world. You know, you can go do that as a, as a thing um, that you don't have to make it your career, you know? And um, yeah, so it's, it's out there. Yeah, it really is. So did you ever have any kind of inkling that you might be the curator for, and I'm biased as hell when I say this, the greatest comic strip of all time. Did you ever have any inkling that you'd be doing this one day? No, no idea. I pinch myself a lot, you know, yeah. I have to admit, um, no, because it's, um, I, you know, I, um, I don't really have a, a, a background in comics history. Um, it's more kind of some 20, you know, 20th century history. And it, just in my core, over the course of my career, I've ended up with doing a lot of kind of pop culture stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I also have a, a, a World War II history background too. Yeah. And um, and that was really, you know, that was a huge part of what made Charles Schultz into who he became. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, World War II really, I mean, why wouldn't it, um, you know, really matured him. You know, he, he had never really been away from home. He had never been away from his parents. And then he's shipped off to war. And um, it was a very formative experience for him. And, and, you know, I've spent, I spent a lot of time with World War II vets who were not too different from him. And, uh, and so I think that was helpful in my background to, to getting this job. And um, so, yeah, yeah. You really shouldn't say you've had, you have a favorite war, but my favorite <laughs> war to read on is World War II. I was, I'm a Navy vet. So getting to see Pearl Harbor. Like mm. I've, I've told this story before. And um, so I apologize to the listeners and the fans and the watchers. But uh, when you come into Pearl Harbor and you're on a ship, um, everybody is in their dress uniform, whether you're dress white, you're dress blues, depending on the year, time of year. And uh, whenever you're, whenever you're out there, everybody, every sailor that's not driving the boat at that specific time is on the outside of the ship. And we're all in ranks, right? So when you come in, um, you know, they'll blow the whistle when we start going over the burial grounds and you salute and you hold your salute until they hit you in with another whistle. And I like I got goosebumps now thinking about it. And I was 19 
when I deployed for the first time. And first, first, any place I ever went was Hawaii, right? So beautiful mm-hmm. island. And we're, we're in Pearl Harbor and we're doing this. I'm sitting there, I'm holding the salute. And I didn't realize, but I started crying. And I didn't know why. Like, I wasn't sad. I wasn't angry. I, I don't know what was going on. But it just felt weird. Like, my entire body from, like, my toes to my ears was just nothing but goosebumps, right? And it felt like, holy shit, man. This is what this, is what this kind of felt like when all of this was going on. Obviously, I can't. I'm projecting at this point. But it's like being in a specific point in time where there was so much dread. There was so much sorrow. And then you're going over somebody's burial ground, right? Essentially, it was the weirdest moment I'd ever had in my life. And then just getting to feel and, and have that with every other sailor that was there, because we talked about it after a lot of people said they felt the same way. Not everybody cried, but everybody had those goosebumps. Everybody had that weird feeling of like, shit, man, it feels like we've been here before almost. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it definitely, I didn't go to war, you know, I was on a ship, you know, I wasn't boots on ground, but you know, getting to talk to some of my friends that were boots on ground, it changes people and you see a different perspective from those type of people. So I, I got to imagine that it had a huge, like you said, a huge influence on his writing, on his comedy, his sarcasm for sure, because I, you've talked to veterans. We've got a, I don't want to say a sadistic side of humor, but we've got a different way of looking at humor because shit just doesn't, shit rolls off of us a little bit better than some people does. Right. So perspective is what it really gives you. Yeah. Um, when do you realize that you're like, oh man, I am, do you, do you ever have imposter syndrome? I guess is what I'm getting at. Whenever you're a curator, <laughs> you're like, wow, I am surrounded by all of this amazing, amazing artwork and history. Do you, do you ever feel like that some days? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's, uh, I've got this incredible team of people who, who I work with here <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me. I have this incredible team of people I work with here who are just so talented. They're so good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's really special to be able to have these people that I work with because they, they I trust their competence yeah. and I know they're looking at me and I know that they're looking at me for that, for direction, for, for what we're doing and whatever we're working on. And I was like, okay, these highly competent people would not be looking at me <laughs> if I was bad at this. <laughs> so yeah. I got to keep going. Yeah. And um, so, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, but it's, it's there. <laughs> it, it does come up. Yeah. I got to imagine, man. Like I said, when, what's your favorite piece at the, uh, and I got to imagine it changes whenever you guys have like a different exhibit. Cause obviously you guys, so I'm sure we'll switch out depending on the seasons and everything like that. So you want to keep people fresh and coming in. Um, actually it's a two part question. How many items do you know of that are in the Charles Schultz museum? Like, is there a definitive answer for that one? Or is it always changing? Cause you'll get stuff in and out. It's always, it's, uh, it's always changing and it's always in. So that number is always just growing. Uh, stuff doesn't come out. Um, so no, I don't know. Um, the number of items, um, it's not, um, I can't tell you this. Um, we do have, so of the original strips, mm-hmm. um, so Schultz drew them, um, so they're not they're not drawn at the newspaper size, you know. Yeah. They're more they're more like this size. Okay, so almost like a storyboard. Yeah. So they're they're you know almost you know 20 inches long and 
it, it changes over the years. You know, the man drew it for almost 50 years. So it's, um, um, so yeah, there's, there's some, <laughs> you know, some variation, yeah. but dailies are generally about this size. Okay. And we have of the nearly 18,000 he drew, uh, we have about 8,000 of them. Oh, wow. So private collections, or do you think, do you guys think a lot of those were destroyed or? It's a mix. Um, some, some were, some were definitely destroyed. Um, you know, we know of, a, we know of some, you know, um, we, we try to keep track of all of them wherever they may be. Um, so, um, yeah, like I know, like I know one, you know, a guy's basement flooded and he, um, you know, his family cleaned up, <laughs> cleaned up the, oh, I threw that old trunk out you had. He goes, oh, yeah, there's an original Charles Schultz. I would have <laughs> thrown them out. There. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, things like that. Uh, um, you know, we know, we know a few were lost in the mail, you know, um, just back and forth to the studio and stuff like that. So, um, uh, yeah. Some were some were stolen at a at an exhibition in the fifties from the University of Minnesota. <laughs> so you know it's stuff like that. <laughs> so what's your favorite piece that you've ever gotten to see or work with, or if you have a couple, maybe you can tell us a couple. That changes every day. You know, it's like people ask who my favorite character is too a lot, and it's like it depends on what I'm working on because I you know I spend. I spend a lot of time like I did. A, I did a huge exhibition actually. Um, kind of a two-parter on Lucy and man I love her a whole lot more now than I ever did and I spent so much time you know reading her studying her thinking about her character perspective in particular you know and that's what happens every time I do that and uh I spend time with any of the characters they become my favorite pretty quick (laughs) so uh but favorite pieces I don't know um you know the oldest existing original i got to see that recently because we're um we're going to be showing it soon so okay. that's exciting um from uh november 1950 so it's within the first like six weeks of the strip mm-hmm. coming out and uh that's just you know pretty crazy to look at um we have a little bit of uh non-schultz stuff too which is pretty exciting um the we things he owned stuff Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, because he, you know, he loved, you know, he he was a student of the comics and um, collected some art from other people himself. Like um, we have a gorgeous uh, Harriman, you know, Crazy Cat Sunday page. Um, I think it's from like 1914, and uh, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, it's just mind blowing, you know, to look at. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, have you? Now, obviously, he's he's been he's passed away a little while ago. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? No, I never did. Um, So I was 20 when he died. And, um, you know, I was a college kid in the middle of a cornfield in Nebraska. So, you know, who who was I? I was just among the, you know, legions and legions of fans, you know. So. um, So, yeah. So, no, I never did. Like I said, like I told you, I, I like a lot of different things, so it's it's hard to to keep all this information. And but um, did he have any uh, kids or grandkids, and they might still come in and try to keep that legacy alive? Well, uh, they um, yes, he had um, five kids, 
mm-hmm. and they all have families too. So yeah, it's a lot of, I don't even know how many grandkids now it's, it's, it's still, it's still growing <laughs> and you know, great grandkids now too. So, um, but his, his widow Jeannie is still, uh, still here and still oh, very wow. active with the museum. And um, she's really the one to uh, keep a lot of that kind of going. Um, so um, yeah. No, no, the family is still very involved uh, with um, the brand and with um, and with the museum too. That's that's really cool. Uh, you know, sitting back and, and and thinking about you know where you were at and where you are now. I mean, has there been anything that you know doing your studies on Charles Schultz and the Peanuts that you really want to get your hands on and, and showcase now? Do you have like a oh, wish list or a bucket list that you would absolutely love to have an exhibit on? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's stuff, there's stuff that I know he did and it doesn't exist, you know, like, but it's like, but does it not exist? Like, is it just in somebody's attic? You know, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, like he, uh, you know, like in his teens, you know, that's when, um, adventure strips were really taking off, you know, Prince Valiant and, um, oh goodness. Uh, Captain Easy, you know, it's kind of an adventure strip. Um, uh, even Joe Palooka, you know, it's a boxing strip. You know, they're more kind of realistic styles of art. Mm-hmm. And I know he was drawing some of that. Uh, I know he drew a, uh, a French Foreign Legion um, s- s- strip, like a like pages, you yeah. know. And because um, he loved the movie uh, Bo Jest in the book. And then um, oh, he thought he thought that would be a really cool that make a really cool adventure strip as a French foreign legion, you know, theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know he drew some of those as like a, a teenager and, uh, and it just, you know, never, nothing ever happened with it. And, uh, and then he also did, I know he did this um, is a um, Sherlock Holmes. He did, wow. uh, he drew a Sherlock Holmes adaptation um and I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan also. So it's like, I would dearly love to get my hands on that if it, if it even existed, which it probably doesn't. So when you say uh, it probably doesn't, what do you mean? Like somebody's got it and they're hiding it or no, no, it's destroyed. It was destroyed oh. more than likely, you know? Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, cause I know he, he did it. I know he shared it with a couple friends, but that's it. And so, but I know he also lost like a lot of his, um, his own like comic collection. Uh, Cause he collected comics. He had like the first issue of like famous funnies. He had um, the first appearance of Superman. Like he owned like all that stuff from the thirties. Cause he was, he was a kid who loved comics. Like, you know, he was born in 1922. So he's 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, by the early thirties. So and he's buying everything he can get his hands on. And cause he loved, I mean, he loved the comics so much from, you know, comics are really evolving rapidly through that period of time too. So, I mean, we have a couple of his, um, you know, bringing up father, you know, it's a, it was a newspaper comic and it was one of the first things that kind of collected and published into books, like hardback square, weird, you know, collections of comics and people are like oh hey this is a good idea (laughs) you know we should bundle up some comics and sell them and it just kind (laughs) of oh yeah yeah 
So, um, I mean, he had all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then right after he returned from World War II, there was a fire at his apartment building and all that stuff was lost. So, so I think his early drawings would have been with that stuff, you know? Um, so it's probably all gone, you know, but. A lot of the guests I've had on here come from the animation. A lot of them, uh, like I had Chris Battle on, I don't know if you know him. He's been up to that. Uh, he's been up to the, to the Charles Souls Museum quite a few times. And he's a character designer. Like he did work on, you know, Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack and Teen Who, Titans Go. Who's Chris the name? Ba- Chris Battle. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yes. So I know he's an avid, like he's the one that told me about not only yourself, but also about uh, the museum and all this other cool stuff. And he gave me a plethora of books to pull from because I have, I don't know where it's at. I wanted to show it to you because I'm pretty sure you guys have it as well. Um, but my wife last year, because uh, like I said, I, I love this stuff and I'm very easy to shop for on the holidays. She yeah. is difficult as hell to shop for because, you know, I pretty much wear everything either on my body or on my t-shirts or it's in my office that I'm, I'm really into. And yeah. The peanuts so she got me the arts of charles schultz books like this this thick and it's the sideways book so it's got i'm pretty sure you're gonna pull it right down yeah uh here's the little one that exact one right there yeah there's a bigger version of it like the hardback but yeah yeah, that's the one she's got me um i I love the book yeah uh, so i showed him that he's like oh man i've just like you did he's like oh man i've got mine here right here and he's like you need to get this one you need to get this one so we were just sitting there tra- it was like trading war stories you got to get this book this book this book so he's the one that really turned me on so thank you chris for for making this recommendation um oh shit where was it going oh that's where i was going um so when i had all those animators on especially back in the day with the old you know hanna barbera upa um Jay, they would throw away Oh, yeah. a lot of stuff because they don't have the space for it. They didn't think anybody would actually want this stuff. Oh yeah. And it wasn't until I heard a story by Robert Alvarez, which is another animation director, legend in the game. One of my favorite people I've ever had on this, uh, this podcast, he, him and his friend, Tim Walker would go into the dumpsters at the Hanna-Barbera studios and they would just take a whole bunch of stuff. And it got to the point where, uh, you know, Bill and uh, Joe would go out there and they would put a bar over the dumpster because he'd keep the kids out and they would chase them off with the tire iron and shit like that. Yeah. So it, it's crazy seeing that stuff. Did he have the foresight and by he, I mean, Charles, did he have the foresight to, to hold on to everything? I got to imagine him being a collector of comics. He might've had that thought. Well, he, um, somewhat, uh, so he, he did. So, um, the syndicate actually kept the originals, up until about 1969. Okay. And then they would start returning. Then they started returning them to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so 1950 to 1969, those are, you know, a little harder to track down um, in the original. Um, but from 69 till his death in 2000, um, he had them. But the thing is, he was also super generous with them. Like he, I mean, he knows he's drawing them every day. Yeah. And so he would sign them and, and give them to people who wrote to ask, you know, Hey, can I, can I have the original from, you know, this date, mm-hmm. it was my dad's birthday and it was the funniest thing. And so he's like, Oh, sure. You know, happy birthday, dad, you know, Charles Schultz, really you know? Cool. And, and, and so he would do that a lot. And uh, in fact, I have an exhibition of inscriptions right now uh, here at the Schultz museum uh, called warmly inscribed. And it's the ones he signed for like friends and family mm-hmm. And even like some famous people and, and stuff like that. So um, some of whom he was also friends with, but a couple mysteries too. Um, 
like one is signed to Vincent Price and uh, no idea how that came about. <laughs> Vincent Price, I don't know the name. Oh, Vincent Price. He was the, oh, he's a like a horror movie actor guy. Um, uh, he, yeah, he played, you know, um, everybody. Boy, yeah, he was just a big, he's a big horror film okay. uh, guy. And he was also an art collector. So I was like, well, maybe the art side of it was... Yeah. I don't know, but he didn't mention him in the strip or anything. So I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, he would, he would keep them, but, uh, and then he started keeping them more and more uh, in the original, like in the nineties mm-hmm. and definitely toward the end. Um, Cause by the late nineties, they are starting genie is starting to talk to him about a museum mm-hmm. and uh, Schultz was pretty resistant to the idea um, right up until about 1999, <laughs> not did too long ever, before he did. Did he ever say why? He just, he, who would come? You know, he <laughs> was yeah, his, a, a lot of people. <laughs> a, a lot of people, Sparky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll come by the bus loads. Yes. <laughs> um, but he, you know, he didn't, he didn't think that um, that would happen. And um, yeah. So, uh, you know, because he, you know, he, you, we talked about imposter syndrome a bit ago, and that was, you know, that was definitely something that uh, plagued him um, in some ways, but not in others. Cause I mean, he, he had an idea of, of that. He was, the, the peanuts was something very special and yeah. that even by the nineties, you know, newspapers are changing, you know, rapidly and um, declining, you know, and it's, uh, and he's starting to realize, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to do what I did. Um, you know, it's just kind of a perfect storm to debut when he did to have the um, the type of humor and the art that that could work for shrinking page sizes. Yeah. And then but also just reach so many people and to touch so many people and to become meaningful to so many people and but still be able to. um you know, uh, earn that circulation, you know, because <laughs> not just, not just an artistic accomplishment, but a business one as well. And um, cause some people can nail this side, but not that. And some people do well over here and uh, you know, it really takes a special person to knock it out out of the park on all fronts. Um, yeah. I try to stay away from these type of questions because you're obviously not the person that I'm going to ask this question about, but do you think he knew he was as loved as much like, do you think he knew that the fan base loved him and what he did? Because there's so many people that that will that will pass away, and then either they don't know or they don't think that you know. Not that they don't matter, but it's just that that maybe it's I'm just a blip. I'm just one of eight billion people. But do you think he knew that we loved him as much and, and his artwork and everything like that? I think I think it came in flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you were to just ask him on a day-to-day basis, like that question, you know, uh, he would wave it off and not really want to think about it maybe, or even think it would be true. Yeah. But, you know, there are, there are some stories about like, about like, you know, he had been sick and 
he had come over to the ice arena, which is where he spent a lot of time, a lot of his downtime. He loved hanging out at the ice arena. He built this Olympic sized ice arena um, by his studio. Cause he loved the ice skate. You know, he grew yeah. up in the twin cities and loved playing hockey, um, loved um, producing ice shows and all kinds of stuff. And so he, he, he just liked hanging out there too. And um, so he had been sick and he had been away for a while and uh, he came back one evening and there was a, there was something, there was like a performance going on, I think. And the whole, the whole place just stopped and everybody stood up and just cheered for him. That's awesome. And um, so, he, and, and he was deeply moved by that. And, um, you know, so of course he knew in that moment, you know, how beloved he was, but that's not something that was easy for him to put in his pocket and carry, carry around. And um, so he, yeah, it was definitely something that, you know, concerned him. And, um, and also as a guy who, you know, went from, you know, a kid in the depression you never had enough money to ever worry about money and then having enough, you know, so much money, you never have to worry about money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, as an adult, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, how could he not, you know, wonder why people like him or want to be around him or something, you know, when he's Charles Schultz. And um, so, but he did figure out, you know, who, who liked him for him and who he was and um you know, like who his regular golfing buddies became yeah. and things like that. They're just the guys he, you know, who wanted to play golf with them. You know, it wasn't nothing ulterior there, you know? So, yeah, but I, I don't envy that. Yeah. I mean, I really don't. And I'm, I'm glad because there's so many people that leave this earth, not, not so much before their time, because you never know when your time is to go, but there's so many people that leave here. And they might have that, you know, it's going back to that imposter syndrome. It's like, or, you know, they don't want to feed into an ego. A lot mm. of people don't want to do that. And they sit there, they sit back and they think like, man, uh, nobody likes me. I don't even like me. Like, well, <laughs> I mean, I have that opinion about myself on a consistent basis. I hate 90% of everything I do, but I think that's more of like, I want to get better. I see where perfection lies, even though we can never hit perfection. And that's what I aim for. And having that, that bar so much that that bar set so high and then coming short of perfection. Cause I guess we can't hit perfection. Um, you know, it kind of, it kind of chips away at your ego and your self-worth and shit like that. So I can kind of see, and I don't want to say you see it in his writing, but you I, like, when I think of the peanuts, like I think of him as being Charlie Brown. I don't know what character he, you know, wrote himself, but I got to imagine that he thought he was Charlie Brown. And then you see just the way, especially in the earlier strips, how the kids talk to Charlie. And even in the later strips, how they talk to Charlie, you see this like, oh man, nobody likes me. And I, I always wondered if, if, like I said, you answered that question, but I always wondered if he knew that, that, Hey man, we love you and thank you for doing this because it's so, it's so rare that people get their roses while they're still here. And as a big reason I started this podcast was to give those people their roses. You know, it took Kobe Bryant dying, you know, last year yeah. and then hearing a song by a rapper named Joyner Lucas and saying, what I just said is give them a rose while they're still here. Yeah. To really put into motion, like, I got to tell everybody how much I love them. I got to tell them why I love them. And then I got to thank them for everything they've done. And that's, you know, that's what the big message for this podcast is, man. It's love, it's thanks. And then it's just keep it progressing, right? So it's yeah. nice to know that, you know, towards the end, he did get that realization. 
Um, and t- staying on Charles for just a second, man, you have a favorite, you know, obviously you said you didn't get to meet him, but do you have a favorite story that somebody might've told you that got to meet him or I'm, I'm sure his, his lovely wife might've told you a funny story or two. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, they, um, yeah, there's a lot of hard hitting questions. Benjamin. There's a lot. I mean, there's so many, um, you know, he wasn't like, uh, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the big cut up, you know, like he didn't walk into a room full of people and everybody just kind of went, yay, you know, we're going to have, you know, he's here. We're all going to be laughing our heads off the whole yeah. time. You know, that's not who he was at all. You know, he was quiet, you know, but and, and he was, um, you know, he was sharp, you know, he had a, he had wit and, oh, um, so he wasn't like goofy and silly, you know, some, some of these newspaper cartoonist stories, you know, are some of these guys are just wild, you know, <laughs> and that was not Charles Schultz. You know, he was very, you know, um, buttoned down and, um, and, a, and just a pro, you know, he was, he brought that professionalism, you know, to everything. And, and uh, that's just who he was, mm-hmm. but I say that. <laughs> however, however, <laughs> he he was a lot of fun though, and um, so one thing um, he he hated answering machines, and <laughs> he uh, <laughs> um, what a weird like, thing to have a nemesis for. <laughs> yeah, he hated hate answering machines, and um, he because uh, like he kept his he kept his his home and like studio numbers in the phone, like they're listed in the phone book. Yeah. <laughs> like people called him all the time. Are you really Charles Schultz? Yes. <laughs> Click, you know, <laughs> he's like, if I can do that, you can do that. You know, why, why, why do you have an answering machine? Just answer your phone or don't. But anyway, Lee, Lee Mendelson, who is the producer on all the peanuts animation specials, mm-hmm. all of it. Uh, he, um, Schultz one day got his answering machine. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and he was he, he a little tweaked about it. And um, and so he picks up a copy of War and Peace and starts reading it into his answering machine and calling back <laughs> to fill the answering machine with him reading it. And that becomes, you know, the, that becomes a strip. You know, uh, Snoopy goes on to read it a word at a time, you know, <laughs> War and Peace for, I don't know, about a week or so, maybe at last. But uh, it becomes it becomes a thing, and, and that's, a, that's one thing about the strip is so much of it is directly pulled from his life, uh, one way or another, and um, and that was something that he did. And he also he also put Lee Mendelson's phone number in the strip, his real phone number, <laughs> in the strip one time. Where like I can't remember which one. There's a couple times he used real phone numbers, and one of I think it was uh, Charlie Brown's like in a phone booth somewhere and he he's he like recites the phone number he's dialing and and apparently the phone just you know the papers hit the porches and then the phone just started just erupting at the Mendelssohn household because uh that was uh it was his real number <laughs> did you ever hear the backlash so before I even ask that question whenever we do an episode we always pull a teaser just to get people excited for the episode this is a hundred percent going to be the teaser this story right here the 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 answering machine story um it's one of my favorites i've heard in a very long time but uh um do you do you know if you heard the response or the rebuttal for lee was he kind of upset about that i I don't imagine mrs lee would have been more upset than than lee but uh yeah do you know the aftermath of that one no i think I think Mendelssohn just laughed it off. You know, he, that's just the relationship they had, you know, they were 
they were good, good friends, uh, and not just, you know, collaborators, um, which is how Schultz, you know, kind of found successful business partnerships. You know, he said, you know, business becomes personal, (laughs) you know, at a level. And, um, and so if you can't be, you know, friendly, you know, if, if not, you know, maybe not best of friends or whatever, but you, you, you know, you should be able to connect with people on a personal level to be able to do business with them, especially something like, you know, this artistic thing where so much of it is coming out of him. I mean, Schultz wisely knew that, you know, peanuts was personal for him, yeah. but it was business. So he, he knew that he needed to protect it in some ways because he's protecting himself in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, you know, like you said, you know, uh, Charlie Brown was Schultz, but you know what? So was Lucy. So was Sally, you know, so was Linus. So is Schroeder, you know, they, they're all him, all of it. They're just different sides of him. You know, it's just, um, you know, he's the artist who's wanting just to sit down and just do his art, his beloved, beloved art, like Schroeder, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, and life keeps coming in and, and saying, pay attention, pay attention to me instead. And as, as Lucy, you know, and he's, it's like just go away you know i want to do beethoven and yeah. um but uh yeah and linus you know that that philosophical side that asks those deep questions about you know what is the meaning of life does my life even have a meaning you know um you know those are the things he talked about and thought about and uh you know there are friends who've told stories about you know just um oh one guy i can't remember who it was offhand but um it'll come back to you as soon as we end this call yeah (laughs) one of his friends said uh they were driving down to san francisco which is about you know it's a little over an hour drive from santa rosa they were driving down and they're just sitting in silence for the longest time and then um then sparky just kind of looked at him and said like do you believe in the resurrection (laughs) you know it's just like what? <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll talk about that, <laughs> you know, of all the things to pull out of the air, you know, but that was, that was kind of that Linus side, you know, that was curious and philosophical and curious, you know, so yeah. it's interesting. And he loved hearing people's perspectives on some of those ideas, um, some of those big questions. I do too. I don't, <clears throat> especially with things like religion, and I told you we wouldn't talk about them, so I won't go deep into it, but with religion and politics, I love hearing about like I like hearing your perspective on something but there's so many people out there that you either have to believe what they say or you know you get on board with what they say or you're wrong 100% of the way so it's very hard to have an articulate conversation a conversation more than it is a debate because a lot of people just want to debate they don't want to talk they don't want to flush out ideas and how do you kill bad ideas with good ideas right you get rid of dumb talk with smart talk you know so it's it's very rarely do you get to have those type of conversations like one of the greatest conversations i've had and i was outside uh, let me pause this for just a second (laughs) but uh one of the coolest conversations I ever had was uh, chatting with two Mormons that came up. Now, these two Mormons, I can't remember their name, um, sadly, but some of the kindest people I've ever met were Mormons, right? Yeah. When I had my arm all busted up, I had groceries that I needed to carry, and they were coming up. I saw them on their bikes, and they're like, hey, sir, you got time to talk about Jesus? And I'm like, I really don't, man. I've got a busted you know, I've got a busted wing right here. I'm trying to get my groceries in. And they were like, well, we'll help you. I was like, well, if you're going to help me, I'll tell you one thing. I will listen to you and it's 
as soon as these groceries are done, I got to go do what I got to do. So you can tell me whatever it is you want to tell me. And then we'll go from there. And they're telling me about, you know, their mission and how they have to go a year or two and all this other stuff without, you know, any girlfriends, any alcohol, anything like that um, to find their way and find their purpose in life and within the Mormon religion. And I was like, that's really cool. And they're like, you interested? I'm like, absolutely not. I appreciate it for other reasons that we won't get into, but I'm just not a religious guy, man. I appreciate and respect everybody's opinion, believe in whatever you want to. It's just, it's just not for me, right? Just like Calvin and Hobbes really isn't for me. It's for somebody else. It's the same thing religion is, right? Yeah. So I had these two gentlemen come up and I'm outside uh, just looking up at the stars, enjoying the nice, nice Florida weather. We actually have nice weather for two days out of the year. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm out there. There's no skeeters. The lights or the, the stars are bright. Not very many people have their lights on. So I'm just sitting out there and then they come up and they're like, Hey, you want to talk about Jesus? And I'm like, ah, screw it. Let's do it. Let's, let's talk. Right. Yeah. They tell me their whole story. You know, I have to tell them, I'm like, Hey, I know you guys can't, you guys can't indulge in what I'm indulging in right now. Um, so I don't want you to get a contact high. So just, you can come up if you want to. And this is during COVID and mm-hmm. I have no problem with it. I was like, come up if you want to, but I don't want to get you guys into trouble. Like, oh, no problem. And then they tried to, you know, they tried to talk to me about life, which is, it's really interesting to have a 18 year old talk to me, right? And not just me, just anybody in general that's got some perspective on life. I'm 32. Yeah. I've seen some, I've seen some things. I've been to a bunch of different countries. I've been stationed with a whole bunch of people, you know, I've been deployed. So I've seen some stuff is what I'm getting at Benjamin. Yeah. It's always interesting when a younger cat comes up and tries to tell you, or tries to talk to you about life. And I'm like, did you think about this? You think about that? Like, oh no, I really didn't. I'm like, oh man, maybe you should really look into this before you go down this road, but you can't have those type of conversations. Cause like I said, you got one person barking on this side, one person barking on this side. Nobody really wants to talk. So that's the whole reason I brought up that story. So it's interesting to know that uh, he would just pop up out of nowhere and go, Hey man, what do you think about the resurrection? You know? So right. I, I just, I think that's, I think that's funny. And I can, I, I ask some really dumbass questions all the time. So it's, and it's interesting. My wife was like, you have a podcast for this specific reason. Talk to those people about this stuff. Don't talk to me about this stuff because I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> but you brought up something I didn't want to ask you about. And Sparky, I've heard it so many times and I just have not went down and down. And I'm pretty sure you get this question all the time. Yeah. Why was his nickname Sparky? Yeah. Oh, this is you couldn't make this up. This is crazy. So um, he's born. Thanksgiving weekend, 1922. Okay. And um, the, that summer earlier, a new character had been introduced in a comic strip. The comic strip is called Barney Google. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a racehorse, this sad, knock-kneed racehorse <laughs> that was wrapped in a blanket. Yeah. And it's named Sparkplug. <clears throat> okay. So... Schultz is, I mean, little baby Charles Schultz is a couple days old, maybe. And one of his uncles comes to see the new baby and says to his parents, he says, you've seen this blanket wrap baby. We're going to call him Sparkplug and Sparky. <laughs> and the name stuck and he wow. used it his whole life. So he's actually nicknamed for a comic strip character. Um, and I mean, it's just which is just crazy. I mean, Charles Schultz, you know, nickname for a comic strip character at, from birth, you know, <laughs> practically, you know, so the only people who really called him Charles were really like, you know, that's a, it's like his government name. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's, that's what teachers <laughs> yeah. say, you know, that's, that's what his teachers called him. Like that in most of them would drop it eventually, but like they, 
he just, you know, that was, that was it. Anybody who ever knew him, um, met him for any length of time, you know, Sparky he, was his name. Sparky was his name. And, you know, um, I was here for a few months maybe. And, um, I was in a meeting with, with Gene Schultz, his widow, uh, Craig Schultz, his son, um, and the, the, uh, previous director of the museum, um, who's just kind of retired in the last about year or so, but she was a director here for a long time, 15 plus years. And, um, and was a friend of, of Schultz's. And, um, so I'm in a meeting with these three people, you know, <laughs> and I keep, I keep saying, Mr. Schultz, <laughs> Mr. Schultz. And they're like, you just, Some just say Sparky. <laughs> like you, you can, you can just call him Sparky. It's fine. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, when I'm, I can do that. I, I, I got comfortable with it. Um, cause I feel like I, I do know him pretty well at this point. You know, I've, well, I got to imagine I've watched, you know, I've watched every interview I've watched the man's home movies, uh, you know, every recording, you know, it's, I've read every strip, you know, it's like, uh, it's, I feel like I know him about as well as someone can secondhand, you know? Cool. So do you dream uh, in peanuts at this point? I have had, yes, I have had Schultz dreams um, where I've like, where I've like met him, you know, (laughs) what's your favorite interaction with Sparky? Oh, one, one, one of the most like surreal, like, I mean, it felt really realistic was um, so there's a little, uh, there's a little Mexican market nearby and there's a little taqueria inside and it's phenomenal. I love eating lunch there. I mean, why wouldn't you? So um, so I walk, I walk over there a lot to eat my lunch. And um, so I walk, so you have to walk past the ice arena to get over there and walking back. There's like a low stone wall, like a little retaining wall. And a lot of people sit there when, the, when it's nice out. So I had this dream that I was walking back from the Tuckeria back to the museum and Sparky was sitting on that wall in front of the ice arena. And he's kind of like, just kind of like looking around and he looked a little confused and I remember thinking like, huh, that's weird. Uh, I should probably talk to him, you know? <laughs> and, and I remember like saying hi and introducing myself. And he asked about Jeannie and I was like, oh yeah, I just saw her like yesterday. She's doing great. You know? And that was kind of it. That was kind of the whole dream. And, but it, it felt like really yeah. real. And um, did he buy, yeah. for, did he buy lunch? No, <laughs> I was coming back from lunch. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, no. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely have, have dreamed, dreamed of him. That's pretty cool, man. Just getting to see like, like you are, you're, you're that third person point of view. So that third POV, just getting to see somebody's life, like you said, secondhand and just getting to see from his comic strips, then meeting his, his family and his closest mm-hmm. friends and then seeing his home movies, I mean, I, I got to imagine this one of the coolest things, especially being a fan of this of this medium. It, I got to imagine it's like if you had a bucket list, you scratched off 15 bucket list items <laughs> right off the bat, man. So yeah. I, I got to imagine this, it feels pretty cool to be Benjamin for a day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> You're a modest person, Benjamin. I like that. <laughs> um, you know, as we as we start to, so we've almost been talking for an hour. I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know you're a busy guy and you got more important stuff to do. Um, <clears throat> man, my voice keeps cracking. Uh, we talked before we hit record on some stuff that you've got coming up for uh, for the museum specifically. Um, and you, you had said that the uh, centennial for Charles Schultz's birth 
um, is next year. So what are some of the things that you can maybe tease or tell people that like, hey, we're going to be doing this or maybe something you can allude to to get some drum up some business and some interest for the uh, Charles Schultz Museum? Yeah, well, we've um, 2022 is going to be a huge year for us. Uh, it is the centennial of the birth of Charles Schultz. Uh, it's also it happens also be the 20th anniversary of the museum opening. So um, so we're very excited. We're in a very celebratory mood. Yeah. Um, we're going to be doing some uh, I've got some great exhibitions planned. Um, one is on um, little folks, mm-hmm. which is the comic before Peanuts. So we're going to see a bunch of little folks original art and um, and uh, including the oldest existing original peanut strip so it's going to be in that exhibition so uh kind of get to see the the birth of the strip the evolution and uh yeah it's going to be a lot of fun i'm also planning an exhibition about um schultz's early influences so we're going to get to see um some original comic art by um you know people like george harriman um crazy cat um uh, George McManus bringing up father, Percy Crosby's uh, Skippy, you know, there's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You will not want to miss it. <laughs> uh, if you're a fan of the the history of comics, it's going to be a really special exhibition. Um, and, and many, many more. So uh, we, uh, we do uh, six original exhibitions a year uh, here. So um yeah, so come come check it out. Uh, we're also going to have a whole slate of special speakers and programs and and appreciations um, throughout 2022 and 2023. Um, so it's it's going to be it's going to be huge. So come check us out and uh, make plans to come to Santa Rosa, beautiful Santa Rosa. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but like I said, I, I can't wait to get up there and see it. Hopefully you know, with the centennial coming out, I can talk to the wife and like, come on, man, it's the hundred year. Let's go. She's like, no, no, no that's yeah. what it's going to be. So hopefully I can at least get out there and see it. Um, yeah. As we start to wind down, I got a few more questions. And I, I would be remiss not to ask because we uh, talked about it before we hit record. Uh, I'm just a big fan of the animation as I am the comics. Right. So yeah. uh, when we talked, you said the great pumpkin was your favorite animated movie as well man uh so with you knowing as much as you know about charles i know you i know you got to know some some real deep cuts about the the great pumpkin so how do you guys get to play the movies during the the time of the year that it, so if it's the christmas one you can play the christmas halloween can you guys play that or is there a room for you guys to play it in the museum we have a theater here yeah so you can actually come in and um so we have stuff playing all day uh so you know there's so like um so yeah, at Halloween time, you'll definitely see the Great Pumpkin on the big screen uh, if you want, and um, and others too. Uh, you know, there's I didn't even realize this when I um, you know first applied for the job. Like I didn't know. Like this is one thing I've learned coming into it is like there are seventy specials. So um, there are some that just haven't replayed very much at all. So you just don't know about them. Um, but uh, they're out there. It's crazy. So um, like there's more than just the one Christmas special. There's actually a couple of different ones uh, yeah. that they did later. And um, so at, like Christmas time, you get, you get to see the original 1965, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas. But there's also, um, you know, the one with a rerun, you know, where he, he wants a dog for Christmas and things like that. So um, but yeah, then we have a full slate of, of stuff playing all day. 
uh, in our, in our theater, which is, you know, nice size little theater. <laughs> so, yeah. That, that's really cool. Cause I didn't know until you said seven, that is insane. And to think you only really see the same, maybe four five, six every year. Mm-hmm. That's wild when you think about it. Um, so why is the great pumpkin your favorite? I got to imagine Halloween is probably your favorite Halloween or favorite holiday. I love Halloween as a holiday. Um, I love the fall just as the time of year is my favorite time of year. Yeah. Um, also great pumpkin as a special. Uh, I love the music in it. Um, it's also where we get the first um, Snoopy as the world war one flying ace. Yes. Sequence. Um that's the first time that, that, that character, you know, that, that persona appears. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, I was always connected with that one uh, more than any others. So yeah, it's my favorite. (laughs) It's a, it's a good one to really look back and watch. Um, Now, obviously with you having so much open to you for the peanuts between the books, the movies and everything like that, I got to imagine you have not only so much your favorite holiday special, but you got to have a favorite era. So if you were trying to convince somebody that might have never heard or seen anything peanuts related, what era would you give them? When do you think it was the golden standard for Mr. Schultz? Oh man, that is really hard. Um, I love it all. So it's really hard for me to narrow it down. If somebody would though were coming in and um, you know if like if for instance if I if I was just going to hand somebody one volume of the of the complete Peanuts, you know, so this is twenty six book series mm-hmm. with every single strip, you know, it, it has two years worth yeah. inside of all of them. Uh, you know that it's really hard to pick. Um, but maybe I would give them something like 68 through 72, maybe. Okay. Let me um, write that one down. Cause you get, <laughs> cause you know, the first decade, you know, 1950 to 1960 ish. Um, there's a lot of evolution in that. Yes. Some gorgeous artwork, you know, Schultz spent a lot more time with like his backgrounds and, um, for lack of a better term, props, you know, um, for the characters to use. And, um, you know, cause he was really a, a skilled, you know, draftsman, you know, he could, he could really draw very well. <laughs> it wasn't just these balloon headed kids, you know, it's, uh, he was very, very good. And you you see that more in, in the early years, you know, those early, you know, 1950s Sunday pages are just, the backgrounds are, are crazy how detailed they are and, and um, they're beautiful. That said, the characters are not what they become, you know, Snoopy doesn't climb on top of his doghouse, you know, for almost a decade, you know, um, he, he doesn't have his thought bubbles, you know, readable to us, you know, for a, you know, a few years. So, so, but by the late, by the later sixties, you get, kind of what we all think of as peanuts, you know, um, Snoopy with all of his personas, you know, the Charlie Brown is, you know, Charlie Brown, (laughs) you know, in the early fifties, um, you know, those first couple of years, 50, 51, 52, 53-ish, you know, he's more of a smart aleck, you know, he's kind of a little punk sometimes. And, um, 
uh, and that kind of goes away. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. You know, you get, um, you also get uh, peppermint Patty and Marcy are introduced by then. And um, you know, they're, they're kind of later additions uh, to the core cast and, um, and Franklin. So they're all, they're all in there by, by that period of time, kind of the late, you know, like 68 to 72 ish, I think is, there's just some really great storylines in those years too. It's really funny. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be the place to start, but then, you know, kind of ask you know, what appealed to you and then send them one direction and the other yeah. <laughs> you know, earlier, later, depending on how they liked it. So, yeah, it's been, it's been wild. Cause uh, I told you, you get the entire collection. You can go on there and read it. If you have Amazon prime, um, it's one of those features that if, uh, like I said, you sign up for Amazon prime, you can go on prime reading and find these. Um, but uh, getting to see the early stages of the peanuts, you know, I didn't realize that Charlie didn't get his patterned, you know, zigzag shirt until way later, you know, it's in the first, it's in the first two years, but it was way mm-hmm. later than the original concept. And I was like, wow I was, and then you start seeing linus born or not Lin, was linus yeah linus being born and schroeder being mm-hmm. born and then lucy and there's all this other crazy stuff. i'm like man i thought you know out of the gate all of these kids were friends all of these kids as they are now i didn't go and think no dummy they have an evolution just like every other story does so yeah. it was really crazy and really cool to see some of the things you're talking about because these backgrounds are beautiful and to mm-hmm. know that he wasn't doing them on these itty little bitty squares he was actually doing them on a full storyboard is really cool to know too yeah so when you when you come to the museum you know this is what we have on exhibition you know we have the original art would be up so you can really see some of the nuance that just doesn't reproduce in the paper um you know when i when i pull originals i mean it's just like look at that you know look at the look at what he achieved on the wood of the fence, you know, or something. It's just like, yeah, it does not look like that in, in print, you know, but he was able to, to still do it just for the, his own sake of doing it right. And, and he had the skills and the training to do it. And it's just like, that's bonkers. <laughs> really a master of his craft, uh, master of his craft. There's Absolutely. Deep cuts of a question. I'm, I've been trying to stump you all day, Benjamin, and I have not been able to do it. So maybe, maybe this might be the one. Um, did he have a favorite, uh, you know, line of pencils that he would use whenever he would do peanuts? Uh, for pencils, Damn not it, really. Stump you. <laughs> um, you know, he he was um, no, he, no pencil. Um, although I have noticed, um, Dixon Ticonderoga number twos are usually what I see, like in photos, and because um, that's what was in that was what was in his. Um, tray at his table when he died and um and then so i've kind of kept an eye on that actually because i was curious about it too and um but there is there's a funny letter um i think in the 50s um maybe the mid 50s where um apparently eagle brand pencils have have inquired if he would you know uh be a spokesman for their brand Mm -hmm. and he he tells the united feature syndicate who he has to kind of go through to do that he says oh he says like well i don't really use any particular brands like i could 
I could start using them. And if you, if you're really hard up for the, you know, to split the 200 bucks, we can do that. You know, <laughs> And uh, so, but I don't really use anything in particular. So yeah, pencils, I think it's just kind of whatever was at hand, uh, whatever was available at the office supply store nearby, <laughs> you know? Um, but he was very particular about, you know, his ink, um, his India ink that he used is Higgins uh, India ink. And also the, uh, the pen nib that he used to draw as well, um, which is a, an, it's an Estherbrook uh, radio nine one four. It's a plated, um, it's a plated pen nib. Um, and he was so particular about it. And actually it was, it's kind of a funny story too, is um, it's not, it's not a drawing pen nib. Uh, it's a, uh, it's one he, he, he described it as it's what they would use in a bank to keep ledgers. And um, it's the pen nibs that when he was working at art instruction, which was the correspondence course, um, they, uh, you know, you finish the correspondence course, um, you would get a diploma, you know, and all the instructors signed it and stuff. And so he was signing a stack of diplomas and they gave him these bank pen nibs basically to, to sign with. And, uh, and as he's signing, he's just like, I like this. Yeah. Like, I really like this. <laughs> and, and so he started drawing with them. And, um, and so that's, here's, I've got one here. So this is a radio 914 Estherbrook. Uh, you can't really see that very well. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, you're perfectly fine. I, yeah, I can see it. Anyway. So this is, this is it. And, um, so he, he does that, you know, he buys supplies of them. And, um, and at some point in time, he finds out that Estherbrook had actually quit making them. And he kind of panics because he needs them, you know. And so he actually arranges with Estherbrook to buy out the warehouse supply. He buys everything that they have left. And he does the math and he's like, yeah, that should last the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and he was right. Um, when he died, there were, th- I think, three boxes left. So That is insane. So he, he timed it. I mean, I wish, I wish he could have used them up. But um, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's decades worth yeah. of pen nibs that he bought at some point in time. We don't know exactly when that happened, I don't think. But um, haven't quite figured that out. But you guys have those three final boxes in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that is so dope, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this one that I have that I was handling, this is uh, this is one I I found and bought in the wild. So um, they're out there because, you know, banks, banks used them and they've stuck them in a supply closet and everybody forgot about them. So so there's still there's still some out there, but not not very many. And they. uh pin nib collectors know that story so they they all love to get a schultz nib if they they can (laughs) that's really cool man well um as we uh as we wrap up here man it's been a blast getting to talk with you and getting this yeah you know another fan of this but a professional fan if you will that's what you (laughs) are benjamin you're a professional fan that's right you found a way to really take something that you absolutely love and turn it into a profession, which very few people, not only do they get to do, 
but very few people have the foresight to really chase something they love. So hats off to you for getting really to take a passion that you have absolutely have, and then you get to turn it into a job, right? And uh, where can they go if they want to say, hey, Benjamin, I love what you do, or if they want to say, hey, man, I'd love to come out to the Charles Schultz Museum, where can they reach out to you if you want the fans to reach out? To you? <laughs> and, uh, where can they come and say, hey, man, I would love to schedule something or see when the hours are opening up so I can get out there? Well, you just uh, go visit us online at schultzmuseum.org, and um, we have contact forms there. If you have a question for for me and the staff here, um, we're happy to happy to answer questions um, because I know how much uh, peanuts and Schultz mean to fans, and also because you guys come up with really great questions sometimes that I don't know the answer to, and I should find out. So, uh, so yeah, no, we love we love hearing from people. All right, so I couldn't stump Benjamin in this one. So maybe one of you <laughs> fans out there can. So that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to stump Benjamin and his team. It's going to be difficult, but I think we might be able to get it at least once. Yeah. Right. So this, like I said, this has been a blast. This has been a real treat for me. I, I really get to, to enjoy, you know, like I said, something I grew up with and I had a blast doing it. Um, he's been Benjamin, man. I've been Julian. This is what's in my head podcast. has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thanks again for checking out the what's in my head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.